a mantra. Hello, hello, hello. What is the mountain room, Rory? The mountain room, what is that? Well, I think we're going to talk about adventure. I'm a trail runner. I'm Xavier Bill, and I'm a photographer. Content creators, that's, that's what we do. You're going to have to concentrate to not actually only talk to runners. Showcasing adventure these days. Mountain room is going to be a showcase for, for outdoor and adventure in South Africa. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the TMR podcast. Another episode. Um, episode episode t- 10. 10. Ooh, guys, Whoa, high, fives. high fives. Woo! Episode We've made it to 10. 10. Amazing. Oh, guys, the support has been phenomenal. Um, not only on the podcast, just from the mountain room as a whole. Like it's been it's been such a cool journey thus far. Yeah, um, thanks to everyone. We've been getting we've been tagged and whenever we ask for questions on the podcast, we get them. It's it's been awesome. Yeah. Don't don't stop. We keep that rolling. Yeah, we've been covering some really cool events as well. Um, we have. We've went to Whale Trail. We've done Expedition Africa, which was really cool. I think that's what ignited the the spark for Xavier, at least for for adventure racing. I'm I still want to get into it, but you've actually now done one since since we covered Expedition Africa. Yeah, I did. Uh, it was my first one, 24 hour race with. It was the weekend, part of the A1 series in the Robertson Wine Valley. Um, man, it was so much fun. It was uh, it was me, Andrew King, Robert LeBrun, or the Brundle, and Karin Khachiano. People who don't know that is how you pronounce a surname. Khachiano. I ask Khachiano. Karin Khachiano. Okay. Super strong athlete. Yo, very very strong. It was kind of a last minute last minute thing. I know Brundle and Andrew. They've raced a couple of times this year, and they needed extra people. So me and Karin pulled in. And yeah, it was awesome. We started with a paddle, a trek, then another paddle, then we cycled. Got lost. Yeah, it just went to shit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't go to shit. That's the wrong word. We d- made a nav area and yeah, it threw us a little bit off course, but it was still so, 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 so much fun. Well, I mean, you had GI and Brundle on your team. Like, that energy alone must be no, it was, enough to get you through any it bad. It was crazy. Like, I mean, if you listen to episode, it was episode two where we chatted, chatted to Robert, eh? Robert LeBrun. Yes. Brundle. Yeah. Just go search the Brundle. I think it's episode two. Anyway, he's got enough energy to last a lifetime. And for people that know him personally or that know who I'm talking about, yeah. <laughs> um, that is, the energy never fades. Even during an adventure race, four o'clock in the morning, you're falling asleep, it's still the same. Except that one time when he fell asleep with his headlamp off Idiot. for half an hour. Yeah, <laughs> we were looking for this checkpoint. Like really, we were quite high up. So this, when we started this trek leg, it was st- we started in the dark. We were out for a very long time. And we didn't realize how how flipping high up this was. It was like this huge mountain. We only realized that the next morning when we started the cycle and the sun came out. Anyway, it was... A really really early like he's starting to struggle with sleep monsters and he just like randomly took a nap so we all scattered about looking for the checkpoint he took a nap and switched off his headlamp so we couldn't see where he was but then he fell asleep like properly so we we wanted to leave and we couldn't find him so we were standing there like shouting randall randall and yeah it took us like 30 minutes and eventually just woke up on his own he was like oh yeah (laughs) just in the bushes anyway it was so much fun um for people that want to get into adventure racing the a1 series is a really good way to do that the kinetic events as well i think yeah a1 is it's a cool it's a great transition for people that want to take it quite seriously and want to get that intro into expedition racing which is 500 k's roughly normally um but then for those that just want to have fun, 
that aren't taking it too seriously. There's also the kinetic f- events, full moon one and double moon. Yeah, which the full are a little moon bit is like a, it's a short beginners. Yeah, they're what? a little bit shorter. Beginners, but it's still difficult. It's not. It's not an easy event. That's not like a park run. It's no. It's still adventure racing. It's still adventure racing. It's still through the night. Um, but people yeah. that adventure racing obviously is you paddle and track and cycle, looking for checkpoints along the yeah. way, and you have to do it without any electronics. You do it on a map and compass, and yeah, it's like that's it's, that's how that works. It's really cool. Um, if anyone's looking for a teammate, um. Give me a shot. I want to do do an A one series. It's getting big, eh? It's uh, it's it's such a cool sport. And the nice thing about it, like it seems like really daunting physically, but it isn't that bad. It's it's tough because you have to spend a lot of hours on your feet, but team dynamic and everything is so awesome, so much fun. Anyway, this episode is not about adventure racing. No, it's not. We're chatting to Andrew King. Obviously, we haven't introduced yet. Yes, <laughs> we that's important. To Andrew King, super cool. Um, as an aspiring filmmaker and photographer, um, it was, this was a really cool episode. And it was really cool to pick his brain and see how he got into to filmmaking and storytelling. A lot um, of people don't know how he started, and he's been going for quite a while now. And he's created some some really good, amazing films. Very recently, was the longest hole which was about basically two guys playing the longest hole of golf in the world, and that was across Mongolia. Running Happy was the film with Ryan Sands, where him and Kane Riley and Andre Gee and Luke Powers, Powers, Cool Hand Powers, or aka Cool Hand Powers, ran around Mont Blanc. Um, Yeah, he also did the film about Ryan Sands at Ottertail Cape Town last year. Called Running Home. Running home, exactly. It's so amazing filmmaker, and it was so cool to pick his brain, just like some technical aspects of how he goes about it, and then how he got into it. And yeah, I've been since I started shooting and trying to film. I've always looked up to Andrew and how the things he's created. So yeah, it's been a privilege racing with him. And also, what are you doing with my pen, Rory? My OCD is kicking in, sorry. Yeah, Rory's being weird. Anyway, we don't have to talk too much about Andy because because this is officially also our longest episode. It is our longest episode. But only because there was so much information. Yeah, definitely worth it. Um, Yeah, stick it out, guys. It's a really cool episode. There's some really good insight, especially if you... No, actually for everyone. You don't have to be a photographer or filmmaker to appreciate this. It's... Yeah, so this is the other thing with Andrew. He's he's done some amazing stuff as well Mm. in terms of like adventure racing, like back when it like... Not started, but when it was really big in South Africa before it faded a bit, he was one of the first people to do freedom challenge. He talks about running, running the comrades in jeans and gum boots and and a stick helmet for oceans. Yeah, they, they've done <coughs> you know proper athlete as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But if you're ever looking for anything that we're doing, it's themountainroom.co.za. Just go onto the website. All our social media handles are there as well, but it's all the mountain room. Just go search that everywhere. Um, pretty easy and then please keep sending us messages tagging us and any requests and if you have any stories that aren't podcast related, if you have any written stories that you want to share we have a stories section on our website where we share stories and visuals um, it's more visual stories than actual long blog posts but yeah we it's not us writing it it's you guys and it's, it's a platform for you guys to share your cool cool visuals and imagery as well as some words um, and there are some cool things from Simon there and some from Justin Coomba and Stefan Vall. So go check those out. And if you have anything and you want to contribute, please, we, we're all ears. Just always send us a message. Yeah. Cool. Let's uh, let's get into Andrew. 
Yeah, let's chat to Andrew to see what he has to say. Let's let it rip. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Andrew. Um, I think let's start let's start the show with the with most the, common question yeah. asked on Instagram: Where does your nickname come from, GI? Um, yeah, I always uh, answer that question with asking people if they want the long or the short story. So there's a, a protracted story, which, well, so the medium story is from university days. Everyone well, we used to play team sports and with hockey and obviously everyone had to have a nickname and uh i seem to give myself someone yeah i was in a fines meeting and someone was like you had to give yourself you had to stand up and say what your nickname was and i knew if i didn't say a name like you would be in trouble and you'd get fined so i just made one up and it was jeronki looks like a giraffe runs like a donkey <laughs> and it, and everyone was like thought it was the funniest thing and then it stuck and i was like oh damn it and then uh a few weeks later or a few years later um on the, the sports council committee, um, I was head of the, the hockey council and I was absent. Uh, I put myself down as, uh, I told told the secretary that I wouldn't be there. And so that in the in the meeting, they went around and they said, uh, um, where's where's Jeronke? And uh, no, he's not here, he's absent and we need to write down his real name. But no one in, in the whole, uh, on the whole committee knew what my real name was. Everyone just knew me as Jeronke. So they wrote down G dot I dot Ronke. And then the head of the sports council, or the sports administration came to me a few weeks later and said, who's this new guy on your committee, G.R. Ronke? And so then it became G.R. Ronke. And then when I moved from Johannesburg to Durban, the I was introduced there as G.R. And then that just stuck. So, so you know, it's been with me for nearly 20 years now, I guess. Jeez, that's amazing. So you made up your own, <laughs> your own yeah. nickname. Yeah, because everyone calls you GI. Well, there we go. Now everyone yeah. knows. That was a big that was a big one. Yeah. You guys are looking a bit tired. Um, did you have enough sleep this weekend? What happened? I know you guys did an adventure race and it took a little bit longer than expected. So you guys did the... Yeah. Um, the so it seems to be a current thing in my life now where uh, through my association with Robert LeBron, who was in here a few weeks ago, um, has... Uh, been working on me for about three years at trying to get me out of retirement for to do some adventure races with him and uh, this was the second second outing this last weekend and then we pulled in Xavier at the last minute when our, our team was not looking too, too strong um, yeah it's uh, needless to say it didn't go as, as well as planned I think we were nice and competitive up in the mix and then very quickly one navigation error land us in the wrong valley and then a big recovery and then Everything just started spiraling out of control until, you know, then uh, by the end of the day, we were found ourselves having a casual breakfast <laughs> in McGregor during the race, realizing that, you know, it uh, wasn't going to be the, what we'd hoped it to be. But always, I mean, I think that's the thing about adventure. It doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, some people are, I guess, more competitive than others and, and you want to do well, but ultimately you know it's about being out there being with the people being having fun so even though we crossed the line in last position or, or officially you know essentially were unranked you know it still felt like you know it was the coolest weekend out and we had such good fun it was a good fun i mean we just yeah, got our money's you, worth you were there with on the same team as yeah yeah, yeah and, and brando yeah i mean sunday it was saturday when did it start saturday morning sunday morning we I think we could have just gone back straight back to Robinson and finished, but we decided we're going to go and grab some checkpoints anyway. And then, you know, on the way back, just stopped in McGregor for breakfast and, and coffee. And, you know, it was so much fun, actually. And talk about Robert LeBrun. He's a different human. Like, <laughs> always switched on, 
always is if people that know robert he's like he never stops um there wasn't one dull moment the whole weekend so much so much so much fun adventure racing is a thing by the way jeez it was my first race and yeah i'm totally hooked i can't wait for the next one now um and definitely have plans to do more of it next year it's a good thing like adventure racing is becoming a big thing again at least in south africa yeah well we've spoken about a lot on this podcast about you know all the upcoming races and how much it's grown in the country um so the race you guys did this weekend was the part of the a1 series right yeah it was part of the a1 series which is a series of races a1 comes from uh, it's from new zealand australia yeah, I think the 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 series there's uh, legs in in Australia and New Zealand, and it's attached to God Zone, which is in New Zealand. And the, the aim here in South Africa, you know, Graham Bird has brought the concept across with the the ultimate goal to try and uh, make a platform that's above the Kinetic Series, which is is very uh, beginner friendly and, and inclusive. And then there's a few teams that are racing on international level, so the A1 series provides a you know a, a springboard between. People who just got into the sport and now understanding what it's about, and then uh, the A1 series is definitely more competitive, um, smaller, smaller field, but uh, the more high level. And then uh, ultimately, to try and encourage people uh, to then realize that they can go and race overseas and do you know these big international expedition races. Okay. So Andrew, you, you mean you come from a background of you say Brundle was hounding you to come out of retirement. Your background is cycling paddling and adventure racing i mean you did the freedom challenge we were one of the first weren't you if I'm not. yeah so i mean it's a long story i'm obviously very old i, I turned 40 this year <laughs> so i feel like there's there's a lot of sporting heritage that uh, we can talk about but uh by the way everyone he, you make you create films as you do full-time you are a full-time creator and photographer and videographer and sure. director sure yeah so my well, I mean, I guess been through many chapters in my life and, you know, I studied engineering and project management and worked in construction sites and then um, building shopping centers and high-rise buildings. And during that time, we spent all our money doing adventure races and, you know, it was, it was this growing sports and, we, you know, we as try to be as committed as we could be with a consistent sponsors. And, um, you know, every, at that time, there was only 250k races, you know, which is two nights or three nights out. You had to have a support crew, you had to have all your gear. I mean, it, it was a it was 100% a, a lifestyle thing for us for eight years, um, just traveling to exotic locations around Southern Africa with consistent uh, racing against consistent teams. And um, it was through that about, I guess, you learn about yourself and uh, the world around you and, uh, you know, the, all the, the things that come, the development things that come from, you know, being on mountains and being outdoors and understanding things about nature. Um, and then um, we're very, um, the, the TV crews that used to come and document those races, you know, we were on the other side of the camera and we would provide like the sound bites and, and then we'd like all gather around the TV to watch the TV show. And I always felt like it was a little bit misrepresented, you know, it was always like, look at these crazy idiots doing these stupid things like, um, it was a spectacle, like a circus act, you know, and I was like, you know, there's, there's reason in that, you know, there's, a, you know, you got to be a bit nuts to go and run 160 k's around Mont Blanc or all these things that, you know, outdoor sports entail. But there's a reason, there's, ultimately, there are lots of reasons why we do it and why we keep coming back. And it, it was that desire that made me want to pick up a camera and um, want to tell that story and want to tell it from the inside and the subtleties and, 
you know, why do we keep coming back month after month to like trash ourselves and not sleep and drill ourselves into the ground, you know, you know, and what do we get from it? Um, and, you know, then picked up a camera and made these short little silly things and, you know, just sort of snowballed. And was this just a random camera or did you, or did you go buy a camera specifically because you wanted to do this? Or? No, it was, you know, a simple little handy cam that we had and it was a mate and I we filmed each other like ramping bikes and paddling down rivers. And then, you know, I probably made like three little clips and then a mate, uh, who worked at the doozy said hey like can you make this film this like corporate thing for us to sh for me to show my boss and we're like oh cool no problem he's like how much will you charge us and i was like you're gonna pay us this is ridiculous <laughs> you know and we made it and it was supremely amateur but it served his purpose and you know and then the adventure racing organizers came to us and said hey i hear you guys are making tv shows and we're like mm, yes you know like, can you get us on tv and we're like mm, sure and you know, put down the phone, picked up the phone, phone Super Sports, and we're like, how do we get on TV? And we figured it out, and we learned the process, and we made two TV shows. The first was an adventure race, which was uh, for the Bull of Africa, which was the, the, you know, the precursor to Expedition Africa, and then another one for the Collins Brothers at uh, for the Waterfront Rush, which was part of the Nasna Oyster Festival. So within, so I'd, I'd say like the fourth piece of video content i ever made was broadcast on tv to like wow. eighty thousand people and i was like this is crazy this is uh, awesome. you know and then you know just snowballed from there and so what year was this like um 2003 so early 2000s. no no it's 2005 yeah okay. 2006 and uh were you still you still had your full-time job as it was a construction sites and no so it was a a quick uh, a quick turnover so basically yeah 2004 um, so all these stories overlap. 2004, um, I heard about this race, the Freedom Challenge, which was uh, off-road triathlon, run the Comrades, mountain bike to Cape Town or to Paul to cross the, the Berg River and then ride, paddle the Berg River to Feltrift on the West Coast, so East Coast to West Coast, run, ride, paddle, 2,600 Ks, 30 days. I was like, this sounds perfect. It fit, fitted in with what adventure racing prim principles were and what I was learning and exploration. And I'd always wanted to travel overseas and, you know, justified it and said, um, surely you must explore your own country before you explore somewhere else. So I signed up, I resigned from work. I took four months off and I rode my bike and, you know, cruised around. And then uh, we did the race and, you know, 20 people entered and only like three of us landed up starting the race. Everyone else bailed out beforehand. They were like, you know, it was such an unknown entity at that time. And even expeditions and endurance sports was an unknown entity. Um, so as a 26-year-old, like I signed up and we cruised through. And I guess it was on that trip that, you know, you start broadening your your scope of or your field of view and going like there's more to than showing up at 9 to 5 and, you know, want to do more and want to explore. And I think for the next three or four years after that, it was a bit of a development process where I worked, you know, did contract work with the construction company or the project management company and then would take like four months off and go and backpack or bike backpack overseas or uh, do some trips and you know in that became more you know outdoor and adventures and expeditions became more ingrained in my lifestyle and then you know the, then the camera thing happened and then we were telling the stories of the things we were doing and very and I was fortunate to have that uh, degree or that work uh, experience to fall back on that's you know so we we were trying a new thing and we just bought a, a tv camera and 
or video camera and you know that was a good enough quality and we were at that sort of cusp of the changing technology where um you know two years before that you know you got hired because you because you had the gear like a big shoulder mounted beta cam and you were a cameraman and so you got the job and now all of a sudden cameras were becoming cost effective so like you know people like us with zero experience could buy one and you know we knew how we could figure out how to use it and it wasn't so much the case of like you knew how to use the gear but what could you do with it and our skill was well i guess our advantage was always like wanting to take the camera to the highest mountain or the deepest place and the camera guys at that time were typically like the guys who you know sat on the deck chair under an umbrella watching the crowd come past and you know what time was lunch and you know can we watch the rugby at six whereas you know when we were filming we wanted to we wanted to take the camera to the places that we had been so at that time it was you know was i guess kind of unique that we had these these skills that were wanting to show people you know adventure sports and at that time you know there was no mountain biking on tv you know if, if a, some kind of mountain biking show came on like the whole community would gather around and watch that one thing and um and then it just snowballed you know uh, within six years we were we're the biggest independent supplier of content to super sports you know we probably made two two shows every three weeks you know on tv we had a hilux with two dirt bikes on the back and a roof box and four three or four young camera guys and every weekend we were like in the car somewhere the war trail sky run paddling races surf ski races mountain bike races uh swaziland mozambique lesotho you know and um yeah so that, that was the journey of all of a sudden uh, yeah i still don't know how we got to that point and we landed up being those guys but you know at some point we sat back and we're like she's what, what a ride you know yeah it's, it's been great watching like it's definitely paved the way for a lot more people creating content with that adventure kind of lifestyle yeah um, well it's been difficult to be part well i mean so either difficult or exciting to be to watch that industry change you know from we got to a point where we we're like okay well what's after super sport what's next you know i didn't really believe in the product and it became oversaturated and anyone could get on tv and and you know i was like so what's next you know how do you you know and we started turning sports broadcasting into documentary storytelling and super sport super sport weren't really keen on that they were like still we want to know who comes first second and third and i was like you know the sports developed past that people actually don't care people just want to know why like why should i go there like why should i choose to run on the wild coast and not like around a forest you know and i'd say well wild coast offers you these things you know like this is and so we started telling documentary stories and um you know very soon realized that you know we'd come to the end of the road with placing our content on a sports broadcasting channel and so that you know the next chapter of our life started where you know, we closed the company down and all hit in our different directions and you know i moved to cape town which was my ultimate commitment to like to to progress or find new community or um new things purchased a very expensive cinema camera and upskilled and uh began the process of trying to understand how to tell better short stories um you know and, and then i guess the next step after that is how do you take the skills that you've learned on a mountain filming mountain sports um and and you know and I, i think that'll always be my first love and i think there's huge value in in understanding what you gain from being on a mountain but um you know now i want to tell 
bigger stories, you know. And, um, so it's uh, conservation stories or, or expeditions to, you know, so uh, more, you know, shed a light on some of the bigger issues in the world. But look for those stories that, that maximize the skills that I have, which is being able to travel lights or manage myself or be a mobile cinema crew, you know. So we're kind of, the evolution is, is happening, you know, but I still find myself very connected to, to mountain sports. I mean, that's where it all started and it's definitely the first love for sure. So back then you, you weren't alone, you started with someone else. Yeah, so um, it was just two of us, a mate and I, um, a guy, Devlin Fogg, which, you know, totally coincidentally has been staying at my house this last week and it's been really cool to uh, connect with him, you know, where it all started and we're still good mates. Um, he worked on the Land Rover G4 Challenge um, uh, for many years, traveling the world, getting paid in pounds sterlings, driving the coolest cars around the planet, setting up the, you know, the competitions for for guys um, like the well, with the Collinses from Magnetic South, from the Otter, you know, so we're all part of the same community. Um, and then Devlin got a call up saying, um, you know, G4 is back on. They want me in Bolivia or Peru or Laos or you know mongolia some radical place like i, I gotta go and i was like you yeah, absolutely have to go and so you know i continued on with the 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 company by myself and you know we've had uh, a nice consistent group of young uh, adventure filmmakers that you know that i've worked with for 10 15 years some you know have gone in different directions some you know still still around so there's definitely even though like the company has changed shape and we maybe don't make as much content or as formal you know it's still the same people that we deal with and you know encourage each other along or support or occasionally come together on a project okay so you talk about um i mean we've had this conversation about like being multi-skilled as a as a creator um compared to back in the day and also i think this is actually in line with some of the questions as well because um, there's always the same question now how did you get into this and what's the best advice but you know being being a mountain athlete essentially and spending time in the mountains um that passion for the outdoors is a huge part of actually becoming an adventure filmmaker and i guess you have to have the one to be able to do the other and then same with the multi-skilled um what we've spoken about i mean you can edit you can shoot you can run you can do everything how important is that and how important has that been in your career like especially over the last like 10 years evolving to this point yeah sure i think that i mean if you look at anyone who's been successful in telling stories whether it's through film or, or short videos or you know blogs or vlogs or podcasts or whatever you know it's, it's people who are involved in their passion and if you know that's your passion you know, you'll figure out a way and if you're determined enough, you will figure out a way. And if you're not determined enough, you know, you'll come to a dead end and you'll be like, well, that's not for me. Um, you know, I've done a couple of talks before where guys have put up their hand and said, what's your most valuable piece of gear that you own? You know, and I would say it's my running shoes every time. You know, it's, it, to me, it doesn't matter what camera you have. You know, it's where you take it and what, you, what stories you tell with it. You know, sure, when you get to a level, then, you know, all these things start piecing together and you start figuring out what your balance is but you know i'm so not technically minded and i continue not to be like i try not to be drawn back into this world of what gear and should i shouldn't i have you need to understand enough to realize what's the best thing for you to do your job but it's ultimately about 
what's the story you know what's your passion what do you want to tell you know and, and for me it's about showing people you know that there's more to than sitting at a desk all day and doing like you know confined things or routine lifestyle and what can you learn if you do lift your head up and look further afield um so yeah the for sure the you know and it's multifaceted now like there's many ways you can do you can tell stories and some people will figure out you know what their strengths are you know like i'd be the worst vlogger on the planet you know like i've but i don't discount that as as a legitimate way of like spreading great stories you know my strength and where i want to be is is telling simple beautiful relevant stories like short stories you know that that go to a higher platform like i'd rather show you know something that goes to sixty thousand people that that tune in and by the end of it their mindset has changed and they you know they they have a better different understanding or ultimately you know look at the world a different way as opposed to showing something to 20 million people who are just consuming it for fun mm. so that you know i've kind of pushed myself and decided where i want to to fit in but that doesn't mean that's the only way like it's 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 quite an amazing time to be involved in media and see like all the options that are out there and and what people can do um and it's yeah i mean there's this generation of guys who just have it it's ridiculous you know like for all guys like me who sit back and and you watch the edits coming out of youtube videos and vlogs and you know i look at the edits and the cuts and the 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 travel things that they're doing and i'm like jeez you know you need to learn that you need to figure that out you know and you know i come from an industry where you have a, a cameraman a director a producer and a and a uh, an editor and you know these guys are all doing it by themselves you know like it can be done like you can figure it out and I think my strength was starting from a position where we didn't know that, you know, like, or we think, you know, we, we, we weren't prescribed to the filmmaking format. We were just like, you got to do what you got to do, you know, mm -hmm. like, should we try this? Let's do this. And I think that's where the, the younger generation are coming up. You know, they're like, well, you know, if you want to make content, you need to learn how to shoot and edit and direct and figure it out. And, so it's but, super I mean, interesting. These are like these super talented, you know, young kids that are that are coming up there. And I'd love, at some point, they they're going to convert from being like making free YouTube channels to get viewers to like actually being paid to do the work, you know, that they're really good at. So that's their that's their. You know, I think what's so great to see with this generation is like the amount of information that you have. Um, I think we're a little bit more of an advantage just because of the YouTube channels. There's so many people you can go and. If you don't know how your camera works or you don't know how to edit, you can just go and sit and teach yourself, which I think, I mean... Yeah, I, mean, I still do that every day. I mean, I, I've never had one single day of formal training using any camera gear. You know, the the first time we bought this Sony FS, FX1, or, you know, it was like uh, I learned how to... Filming principles from the manual. Like I read the manual, like what does the iris do? And like then I picked up the iris and I turned it. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand that. And you know you, that information i got from a little booklet like you now get from youtube you know and so if i'm trying to upskill i'll just click onto youtube or an edit technique or or figure something out you know you just google it so that information is is available it's just how determined are you to like figure it out and and make it turn it into something interesting yeah.
actually apply it because I think there's a lot of people that get stuck on YouTube and then end up just watching a shitload of videos on how to do this and how your camera works but never actually go out yeah. and actually apply those things and yeah. that's just as important as yeah. gathering the information which yeah, a lot I, of people I mean knows. I get that question all the time it's like how do you get to that point like how do you get to be paid to go on an expedition to China to film and I was like you work flipping hard for a flipping long time just and doing stuff money. you know <laughs> And like, you know, I didn't go from nothing to having that opportunity. You know, I made, there were, there were a hundred steps in between and you just start taking your steps, just start making stuff, whether you get paid or not paid or, you know, do what you think is right, do what you, what you're excited about. And, you know, in my case, 20 years later, you open your eyes and you're like, oh, that was, this is pretty cool. Like, I, I don't know how I'm getting these opportunities, but, you know. They're here now. Yeah. Because that, that, that's quite in line with being patient as well and with passion. You know, if you are passionate about it, you'll be patient enough to hang on. But yeah, I mean, it also goes back to the point that you made about not having you know, the gear and you don't, need, you don't need the best gear. I think the, the best piece of advice I've got was actually from you, Xavier, before, I mean, me being an aspiring videographer and photographer, like, you don't need the best gear. I started with the shitty M6 to learn my skills and you kind of outgrow it. And like, yeah, so it's more about having that passion and just getting out there and creating. And I, th I found that more valuable. Um, and like watching like you, Andrew, who's been doing this for so many years and like taught yourself. And like, it's very cool to know that it is possible. You don't have to go and have this degree. You can just pick up a camera. If it's shitty in the beginning, it's going to be shitty. It's just about working hard and, you know, putting your name out there and just trying to get as much content as you can. No, totally. I mean, the yeah that's uh, continued advice you know and say what's your best piece of equipment it's my yeah. shoes because it like i'm not going to make films if i'm sitting inside waiting for the phone to ring and say like hey do you want to can you do this you know it's it's because you are out there it's because you are making stuff and people are seeing it and there's so many platforms today for people to see your stuff and then for you to then convert that into a job and yeah. or or portion of your job or you know or start a, a whole new industry where people go like, wow, you know, we never thought of that. Like, let's do it that way. You know? Yeah, geez. Well, I think moving on from actually creating your project and how you got into it, let's talk about the one that you did last year, which was quite a massive one, um, The Longest Hole in Mongolia. These two guys that hit a goal for from one side to the other. Uh, it was last year. What, what, what year were we in? 2018? Yeah, last it was year. Last year. It was last year. Wow. Yeah, so how did that, that even come about? Um, yeah, well, again, you know, and I think through the, the heritage of where we're at is, uh, you know, we just land up in that space. You know, a good friend of mine, uh, Ron Rutland, who, you know, has, I've been on a long journey with before working and uh, making films for the Two Oceans and Bob's for Good, uh, Bob's Kinstad's charity, which Ron worked for, um, Bob's for Good Foundation. I ran the Two Oceans in a full lacquer onesie with a, a stick stig motorbike helmet on as like the campaign mascot for their thing and you know it, it was it was quite humorous and funny like eight or nine years ago when it was and you know then ron was a you know a rugby player at that time and um he then started becoming involved in our crew and um their charity started becoming the beneficiary of a lot of like running races he came to the garmin war trail and came to the um, Wild Coast Wild Run and did the races because he was there and then all of a sudden like you know exactly like we hope our films do he you know his horizon started expanding and he was like mm -hmm. there is more to what my existence than what I previously knew and seeing you know the people you know 
that are that hang out those races and, and being inspired and then we went on the putford rally which is a 17 day social car rally around southern africa we drank a lot of beer we saw a lot of cool things and we made some very memorable experiences and then uh you know a few weeks later he's you know he phoned me he's like oh, i've got the next best thing you know i'm super excited for this thing and i'm like cool where are we going you know and he said well um, you know i've sold everything i'm going to cycle through every african country to the rugby world cup and obviously a big rugby supporter starting in cape town ending in japan um not japan in in uh in england to watch japan play play south africa in the opening game at um, um in brighton so two and a half years or three and a half years he cycled through every african country and his sponsor paid for me to fly out and meet him in ethiopia i spent a few days riding across with him we saw him in rwanda when i was there filming another project and um so i got to experience some time on the bike with him and and we flew to paris to ride to brighton with him and so you know just shared in that experience and um took some photos and made some videos and then you know, a couple of months later he phones he's like oh, i've got the next project you know and i'm like i'm in <laughs> he's like, i haven't told you where it is and i'm like i don't care like let's just go let's go and he you know he told me about his you know the guy that he had met he was telling a story about uh, his cycle through africa in kenya in nairobi to the hong kong rugby team and one of the rugby players came over and said hey like so inspired by your thing i've had this idea i wanted to do all the time but i, I haven't even told people because you know fear of ridicule like we don't talk about these things but you're like obviously you know if you have an Super idea you, you do it so you know and his idea was to play golf around the perimeter of ireland he's from he's you know from northern ireland and ron was like ah oh, land access and steep terrain like you know you want to play it somewhere where there's like no fences like the, the biggest open and you know they had drank a few more beers and the idea developed and then it was Seems like, like oh, there's always been involved no, every single time i mean <laughs> without doubt and, and uh the idea developed you know where's the longest unbroken you know stretch of land in the world and i guess you know it has to be russia mongolia or china across the gobi desert so you know they they researched mongolia found that there's only one golf course in the whole of the country what was the most what's the furthest you can get away from that which is the western edge which is a four-way border between china uh, russia kazakhstan and mongolia which is a high peak so they, you know, we set the tee box up at the base camp of that mountain, and you know, it worked out to be, you know, uh, about an eighty-day journey to play their way back. Um, you know, we, we spoke about a, a film project and uh, how we would do it, and uh, support crew and vehicles and logistics. And you know, I said my biggest thing was uh, didn't want to disrupt the authenticity of of the trip. You know, like if if they landed up engaging with. And so they were they were on foot the whole way. Ron pulled a two wheel cart with all the camping stuff. Adam had a small backpack and just continuously hit a golf ball. Because so it was like traditional golf. They would hit it from point to point. Yeah. Point so point. the point, the, well, the, the mechanics were it was the longest single hole of golf ever played. So mm. one tee box, one green, and in between that was one fairway. So it was set out to be a par fourteen thousand. <laughs> hole Jeez. of golf and landed up taking 20,000 shots so there were 7,000 oh, over no. par but Adam was like well it's not too bad percentage wise you know it's like being shooting a five on a par three I guess <laughs> um, but it was a totally unknown and uh, in in the true style of the two characters you know and, and that was why I was so excited about a film project that it was you know not this typical uh, 
expedition where you have like headline brand sponsors and everything's like run by logistics with sat phones and a support crew and a ground team and whatever like you know there were just two dudes that like had their plan you know it was comical in the lead up to it ron like totaled the cart he put weight on it and then took it down a hill and it like flipped him right over and smashed the cart and he's like oh okay well let's figure that one out again you know and, um uh, adam is the you know the the, the greatest over the top um you know young character who you know like walks and lights up a room every time you know and the first person to reach for the bottle of vodka and you know tell stories and you know get people excitable and um you know at a, um, ron is the short stocky rugby player uh, who you know is the most unlikely adventurer but you know is in his calm quiet way knows exactly you know what he wants and how to how to achieve it and so like they made the great combination of of characters um and so the idea was you know that i would either walk with them or you know then or use a little chinese taxi motorbike to get around so it was we wanted it to be more like the three of us on tour as opposed to like a big crew so that if we did meet like a shepherd you know and, and i wanted to film it i couldn't like, tell them to wait while the crew arrived and we like set up the scene and then by that time you know the shepherd's like this is you weird know, you know the authenticity is lost so it landed up just you know pretty much being an expedition with the three of us i flew in and out four times once for a, a pre-recce trip we made a little promo video and then three times you know beginning end in the middle um yeah it was a wild experience you know certainly one of the the grandest adventures i've ever been on not only like the filming part but like commuting to get to them and find them um and then just the just the attitude on the trip you know like it really was like you know just mates on tour and trying to you know in, to, to maximize it get the best out of it in, you know appreciate the country see new things decide you know how best to to do this thing you know there was nothing was prescribed for us so you know it was really it was a, a wild adventure and put the put a film together it's 80 minutes so feature documentary had a screening here and it's you know now at a few film festivals and we had some word the other day that it's hasn't been announced yet but been accepted at a, a super prestigious film festival which we're excited about and awesome. oh, wow. um, so yeah it's starting to take shape and and then uh heard the other day that you know ron has the next adventure planned and you know now yeah. just talk about the next thing and i'm like yep yeah let's of course <laughs> let's do this thing you know so yeah it, it, I mean, I guess, like I said, you know, it's, it's it's just part of the community. It's like, you know, the guys that you know now and people that you get become in contact with. And I mean, essentially, we're just mates. And, you know, we're just like, well, as mates and who kind of have now made another, our own production company. And, you know, we're, we know how we do things together and let's go and do something else and, you know, make money off that one. You know? So, yeah, interesting rider. I can imagine. I uh, I remember keeping an eye on your stories when you were there filming, and you had a bike, and there was a dog at one stage, wasn't it? Well, yeah. So uh, I mean, it's meant to be a golf adventure. Well, I mean, it wasn't actually a golf adventure, but golf was the mechanic, was the reason for being there. I mean, it was about two guys like just figuring out a new country and you know being cool. And uh, we had the on the second day of filming high in the Altai Mountains. We were up this hundred k valley, you know, taking us flew to Ulaanbaatar, four-hour flight to the most western country in Mongolia, this tiny little town uh, by an Ugi, and then we did a six-hour six um, uh, commute up into the mountains in this like little Russian jeep 
van. This most like coolest little van, <laughs> totally like off road. And then you get to the, the the little gate of the reserve, and then we got on camels and horses and rode for another four hours. So I mean, we were, you know, when you say you're in outer Mongolia, like it's you you possibly don't get more remote places on the planet. And and then we had to play back down this hundred k valley, and so we were as remote as you can be and i was had filmed these guys crossing the river and i sat down on the floor and um the guys came past me i sat down to to put my gear back in my car in my bag and the guys w- walked past me on the road and continued on and i you know was taking time and the dog this dog just came out of over the hill and it was like a more like a wolf i mean it's a big hairy thick coated wolf like dark eyes and these wolf jowls and um ears and sat down right next to me and you know very calmly and i was like oh this is not good like it's two things are going to happen here like either this dog's <laughs> going to turn and tear my face off or i'm going to stand up and walk and it's going to follow me and i was like and if it follows me it's probably going to walk all the way with us and if it comes all the way with us it's what are we going to do with it at the end and it's going to be but it's going to be the best part of the story um and it's going to, like, people are going to be so attached to it. And so, like, all this was going through my filmmaking mind before I even knew what this dog was going to do. And, like, gave it a, a very tentative pat and then stood up and walked away. And the dog followed us and, you know, became the center of the story and um, became the, the catalyst between a bit of tension between Adam and Ron. Adam, you know, a, a young guy had never had a pet and fell in love with the dog. And Adam uh, and Ron you know, who was the expedition leader, you know, saw it as this outside externality and, you know, didn't want, it just said, you know, if we just stop feeding it, it'll go away. And Adam's like, it's not going to go away. It's like, a, you know, it's, it's, now. It's, it's our dog, you know. And, um, so, I mean, and the most amazing creature and it walked 2,000 kilometers, you know, across the country. I don't think over 80 days, I'm not sure there are too many animals that have done a journey of that nature. And, uh, yeah, so it became a, a big part of the story. It's beautiful reconciliation moments at the end with, with Ron, you know, and, and the dog, and you know, it all just kind of ended in this beautiful climax uh, that that made the film. You know, I think hopefully what it was. So, so, yeah. so just out of nowhere, like, there wasn't was there a village close by? Or were you? No, I mean we were it's just a we were hundred k from the closest like place where people lived. It's, you know, and 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 so when we were walking. The locals were always scared of, you know, the dog and they would always say to us, Mongol dog, Mongol dog, you know, like asking Mongol dog. And we we would go like, yes, it's a dog from Mongolia. It's not, we didn't, it's not our dog. Like we didn't bring it here. It's not a South African dog. It's a Mongolian dog. And, you know, they were like very tentative and we'd like stroke him and like you could do anything. Like, he, you know, he loved us. And um, so then the children would come over and pet him and he was super friendly. Um, and we came to learn that the term Mongol dog was like actually a breed in itself, which is, I guess, like a hyena or a, a jack- yuckles or a, a like basically <laughs> like a wild, wild dog. dog, you know. And and um, and the more I traveled through the country commuting, and I saw these like packs of wild dogs, and I was like, you know, these are actually just dogs that are not domesticated yet. They live in nature and they eat mice and marmots and whatever birds or whatever they can. Like they live. You know, they are a wild creature, under, uh, a non-domesticated dog. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, it was quite this weird thing where we realized we were potentially dragging like the a African equivalent of a hyena. Like everyone was like, hey, is, yeah, is that your hyena? We're like, yeah. <laughs> Badass. Yeah, like, yeah, sitting a, a golf yeah. ball across the totally. country. <laughs> a friendly hyena. <laughs> but we did see, and then he became super protective of the cart and Adam. And so like he bit some people who tried to like pick up the cart or if someone took the golf club, he, like he would bark and bite. And, oh. and that became more of a tension because... Ron thought he was scaring off people, like so. Now they weren't engaging with locals because they were scared of this this Mongol dog. Um, but it's, you know, equally, you could leave the cart overnight, you know, just head into town and come back, and the dog was still like sitting there protecting the cart. And um, yeah, so it, it it was this like it took us a long time to try and like understand what this what this dog was, you know, and you know we just thought it was this domesticated dog that was lost and it attached itself to us but it was like kind of an older wild dog that had decided like life with these guys was much better you know and which uh, it's a harsh environment super like winters are super tough and we showed it affection and it was like you know this is amazing and we fed it and whatever whatever we could and you know when we didn't have enough food we you know it, it killed a few things like tore them apart and you know you're like Gee, this is a wild dog you know it, it can look after itself when when it's not with us so yeah, it was a super interesting aspect of the journey. Such a good experience. And on Facebook, everyone was following. So Yubi was the dog's name, like uh, because we Yubi is short for the capital city Ulaanbaatar, and we were certain it was going to go all the way to to Ulaanbaatar, so we called it Yubi. And on Facebook, you know, people were following the expedition, and everyone just wanted to know like, how's Yubi, or what's going to happen to Yubi, and how's Yubi doing? And we're like, yeah, oh, we're actually like doing this quite an impressive physical feat of you know expedition but no one was interested in that at all like everyone was just wanted to, to know what, wanted to know what the dog is you know i mean yeah the film is all about the dog yeah. rewrite the story from the dog's perspective yeah i mean it's this <laughs> dog that just like these random people that walks into its backyard and i was following them yeah totally no it's a beautiful little story i mean uh I uh, having known how it turned out i wish we had put more effort into the production of it you know and certainly some regrets of like what it could have been and maybe we should have made more of of the story or had more opportunities but uh you know we just take it for what it is and hopefully it springboards us into the next yeah little film that we can make and um you know oh it, it really was a special time in your life and i guess this this is why i continue to hang out on mountains or in wild places and you know if if carrying a camera and being able to hit the the red button the record button is all that i need to do to justify my place there i'll, I'll do it till the day i die you know you you get to experience these things and you know i remember the the day of um handing over the dog and the tears and i mean you, you know even myself like with a camera like just tears streaming down and like the whole i mean it was a total mess and you know I consciously remember thinking like this is a moment like this is a moment that you'll remember or that you're alive or you know you're aware of your own existence or you know this is you know in your life this is a thing and that and not a lot of people have that and I guess you know now I think you know coming back to the whole point of mountain sports and the mountain room and running and whatever like that's what it's about it's like you know you put yourself in that place and and you get something from it you know you have an experience and you know athletes want to do it because they want to get it often you know and filmmakers want to do it so we can show it to other people so that more people can like do it and experience it and so that that's you know certainly was one of those and and on the in the mongolian trip there were plenty of those where you just like look around and you're like 
flip man this is pretty rad you know i'm not sitting in an office somewhere i'm not just doing a routine grind i'm not sitting in a you know in a, in commuting in the traffic and sure i do that sometimes but right here right now like this is cool that's amazing um so to talk about production for it how did you actually shoot it what did you use what did you take with you and so did I, they did they do some filming themselves as well yeah um so the sh- the film i'd say is 50 50 my footage and adam's gopro handheld footage um ron occasionally picked up the mirrorless camera produced some absolute gems but adam was the character so my uh, i had a drone and a, a sony a7s2 mirrorless camera with you know a few lenses and a little handheld gimbal and uh so my aim was to provide like the stage the platform the cinematic uh view so th- and then adam was the raw story so when adam picks up the camera and you see his arm in the shot pointing it back towards himself you know immediately you you're there it's like it's authentic there's no camera guy it's not orchestrated it is what it is and he did amazingly well to create that authenticity you know to be a character to to change the angles to say the right things and you know without that the show would have been super one-dimensional and we'd have to work hard to you know to tell that story and in in essence it probably would have become a little nice little short film a little 20 minute um so you know the aim in the film was to balance those two things so that you get these raw involved gopro moments but then you do get taken back and it is a little bit more cinematic and you do understand the stage where you're on um so it, it, w- it was quite a, a unique moment or you know a long a long moment when uh, we got all the footage back and i knew kind of what i'd filmed but i had no idea what adam had shot you know scrubbing through it and finding okay. these little gems and going like you know and adam coming back drunk from drinking vodka with engineers in this like russian industrial looking building one night and then calling the dog over and you know like in tears saying how much he's going to miss the dog and how much it's been a part of his life but holding the camera filming it you know in the dark and you know just understanding like that you know that's you know that actually didn't end up making the we debated at length whether that was actually necessary in the film and it didn't make the cut but i mean it was a beautiful moment and there were many of those so yeah as much as i was like the cameraman director you know adam was the was the filmmaker i guess you know well i mean we consider you know I guess everyone in our team is, you know, we consider it a co-production of we made this film. When we sat down to do the credits of the film and we puzzled for ages, we're like, how Who's do we doing what? How do we say what we did? You know, like might as well just say a film by, you know, Andrew, Adam and Ron. So where, where is the film? Where can we watch it? Especially if you're in South Africa. Yeah, I mean, that's my own fault is, you know, carried away with other work and, you know, I really should uh, make an effort to... Uh, get a few screenings out and i think there's some cool locations around cape town and uh, maybe this is the kickstart i need to like book out a few evenings and you know just sell some tickets and you know even if it's 30 or 40 people um so we've had some screenings in other places around the world and uh adam's taken it to carnoustie to the open open championships and shown it to, to people there we've submitted to film festivals we've got a distributor who's looking to place it in a few you know with a few companies uh, with a few networks um you know and it's a bit of a slow burn um the ultimate you know i think the process is once it goes to a film festival more people see it and then 
broadcasters go to those festivals and go like hey you know what's the cost of this or this would fit onto our network and um you know, so that there's this process you know distribution is definitely 50 percent of the whole deal and because we own the film you know we're, we're trying to figure out how to do this like we're really learning the industry and you know we're making small slow steps and uh, trying to like take opportunities without getting burnt or giving things away and um, and then the biggest difficulty we found now is that you know there's a new expedition on on the cards and Adam and, and I are talking about how we're going to film that or how we want to pre-sell that and so no, we're not allowed to know what it is yeah I don't know why Ron I don't know if Ron has actually uh, <laughs> he told his boss even yet okay <laughs> so it's still a secret yeah but um, so that you know the, hopefully hopefully the the expedition the new film doesn't shortcut, you know, what we can achieve with the old film. But certainly, that, that you know, that's a part of the view now is that how putting together how we how we made that, you know, is a framework for how we can do things better in the future. And again, maybe we should focus forward then back. But certainly, we want people to to see the longest hole, and um, you know, there are some places that will come out now and. I guess we're all we've been told by people who've been through this process before is like you know just be patient there's it'll, it'll come. come and um the distribution guy you know said the words to us you know this could go big or could not you know you just keep at it and you know uh he's pitching it to various people and you know it ultimately could land up in the right space with the right person who shows it to other people who then go like you know and it, it's a runaway success or you know could just land up not achieving that so we're kind of in that process now figuring it out and once we pass that and we realize that it's either you know it's not if it's we realize it's not going to happen for this film or we focused forward then you know we'll put it online and we'll allow people to see it for free but we did spend a lot of money you know a fair amount of money making it and our ultimate ambition is to at least make that money back and hopefully a bit (coughs) of profit and use that for the next one i guess so, and this is the enjoyable thing, you know, like I've, I've no idea about, I didn't know anything about that process, you know, and we've worked our way through it and, you know. Still learning if, new things. If we do another project, we have, you know, uh, some grounding to, to fall back on, but there'll be more learning things, you know, and so it's part of, part of the system, you know, giving yourself over to the journey and not uh, feeling, feeling despondent that it's not going anywhere, you know, like every, every part of it is a step to to the next thing i guess also not being afraid to actually go and pull it off even though you don't know the process still go and give it a go and figure it out as you go yeah. go along no, exactly and i think everyone that was part of it you know already is you know maybe we haven't seen the financial return but we all got something grand out of it already of it. you know and we were like well if, if that's that you know then and it leads to something else then that's you know that's part of the benefit anyway so but uh, what's the website just for future reference? If we, yeah, if well, there's to a lot to see. So um, there's a website called thelongestholefilm.com. Okay. has a, a trailer. has the trailer from the recce, which was before the trip when, you know, with a golf bag. And then it has the trailer for the film um, and some other information and some pictures and details for broadcasters to get hold, you know, if they're interested in licensing the film. Um but yeah, um, weekly on the phone with Adam, who's in Hong Kong, to you know figure out what's the next step and how do we continue you know pushing this thing. And 
hopefully this you know the the inclusion in the film festival will will be a big thing for us and help you know take some steps okay but just go to the website i guess google yeah. it for if you're listening to this and you yeah. want to know where to watch it the longest film.com yeah you got it there yeah so from like that style of film to something else you also recently did which was running happy which was uh that was with ryan sands andre Guy, who else was it ken, ken riley and luke and powers, luke cool powers. Hand. yeah cool, cool hand. hand yeah so that was a film about essentially ryan going back to utmb before the big race and you guys doing a loop of the whole utmb or of the whole mountain and just making a film about that that journey and then it ended up <laughs> with cool hand <laughs> kind of playing a main character yeah. uh how did yeah. that process start and what was it supposed to do and um you know um, it's always a weird space for me obviously dean leslie who you know uh you know I, I always laugh when you know i get asked to do things like this like the podcast or people looking going you know like love your stuff i'm like have you seen dean leslie stuff i mean it's it's a hundred times better. It's, you know, it's, it's intergalactic, like what he's achieving. And so, uh, what, so let's get into that. Why do you think he's better? And why is it that way? Is it just his natural skill or do you think there's other factors? Oh, who knows? You know, I look at, if I look at uh, some of the films that they made, I mean, I remembered it. I wanted to show someone a reference that I remembered from a film that they did on the road. And I watched it back and I was like, oh, there's the reference. And I showed it to someone and then I watched the film again and I looked and it was like made four years ago or five years ago. And I'm like, I'm trying to achieve that level of film now. Like I'm, I'm five years behind, like I, you know, five years ago he was doing what I'm doing now, you know? So, you know, he is that, that talent. Uh, absolutely. You know, like I'm, I've come from a sports broadcasting background. I'm learning a new format, which is, cinematic short storytelling i guess you know and i'm new to that i've been doing it for two years and i have had some opportunities and trying to make more opportunities to do it more so that i can practice more you know and that i guess was what they've been doing for 10 years i guess but yeah i mean dean is a is a legitimate talent and uh you know i've and and greg fell's been a, a big guiding light in in my recent journey of um trying to get into you know cinematic uh, shorts and had many opportunities through him and they've obviously split from the african attachment have now become two separate companies and have worked a lot with fell co with greg and um had many opportunities and um you know understanding the level that that they they were aspiring to you know and he expects that same from me and has pushed me pushed me more but uh yeah so I guess it's always, you know, it's part of a process of trying to be who I am and understanding my journey now and where I'm at, as opposed to always being, trying to achieve what, where Dean is at or, um, you know, feeling disappointed that I'm not there, you know, like focus on my, my little space now. And I guess that can be quite hard in the, this world of like, you know, these vloggers that get billions of views and people trying to achieve the same thing and not understanding how to get to that level. You know, it's it's a tough it's a tough space. But you know, I mean, I'm, I'm super stoked every time I make a film. It's the best thing I've made, and I'm like happy about that. You know, and I, I, I don't don't want to watch somebody else's one and then feel bad about my own. I guess. Um, so you know, well, figuring that out. Um, but yeah, so. 
it's a weird space. So obviously Dean and Ryan have had this long history of you know telling stories, and through Ryan, uh, African Detachment were able to leapfrog into Salomon International, which you know made some unbelievable stories, and I guess have been the inspiration for me for many years to do what we want, what I want to do. And then at Ultra Trail Cape Town last year, um, you know I built this relationship with with Kane, as a good mate, who had now become the marketing involved in the marketing at Salomon and so he came to me as his contact as opposed to Salomon International Dean and he said you know Ryan was talking about the story uh, of running you know his home race around Cape Town and would I be interested in the thing and I was like well you know cool isn't that Dean's space like I don't want to step on toes but radical you know give like, it a go. take an opportunity you know I think it's fair and square and um, you know shot it by myself or with Dave Fisher helped me on the day and but you know construct a little story three-day edit nice little turnaround you know to me it was a nice little film you know medium budget paid my way was happy to do it and uh, you know I guess the film was was successful enough that everyone was like excited and was like cool like that's an affordable way to tell stories you know it's not a big budget like Salomon running tv international we have to fly to patagonia or wherever like you know it's it's i'm one guy with a little little bit of kit and filming at home you know it's it's worth the effort and what, uh, what was this film called it was, was about ryan running yeah, it's called running home running home so just go and search about, that on youtube I guess. Yeah, about him running the race you know that on the mountain that, that pretty much ignited his fuel for you know his passion for for yeah. running and then so after that, everyone was like, well, what's the next? You know, Ryan was like, hey, I'm going, you know, we'll just make this film here. And then Kane was like, cool, like, I'll get some budget. And, you know, and we were talking about the Golden Series and how to integrate those stories. So I was there filming a film with Megan McKenzie, which is still to be released about her commitment to doing, you know, the Euro Van Life tour to go and do all the Golden Series races. And then they were like, well, while we're here, let's film this thing with Ryan, you know, and heard the story about Ryan uh, struggling or well, uh, having two uh, um, blowout years at at Ultra Trail um, at Ultra Trail Mont Blanc and figuring out how to mentally get past that. And you know, I spoke to him about how I would pitch it and how I guess you know my ultimate goal these days is like, what value does your film have? You know, is it are you catering to an audience who just wants to be entertained or you know what's the message and you know so we spoke about the message you know coming through that even if you're a pro athlete you still need to keep the love of the trail like it's it you need you know there's not big prize money and it's tough like it's it's a really hard sport and if you don't have that joy you, you know you're never going to be successful even as a pro athlete and ryan you know we spoke about him struggling he spoke about struggling to keep that balance about how do you satisfy sponsors and expectations but keep the joy and maybe that's something that he had lost at utmb so the aim was you know and we had been up and down Cliff corner ridge with with andre and kane and seen the banter and the fun and and cool hand had been part of that and you know and so um uh, ryan invited them to come and run you know a recce warm-up scouting lap of UTMB and then Kane was like oh you must come and make this film like quite flippantly and I was like yeah cool you know um but yeah it's gonna be expensive like because we need to have a backup vehicle and like a support to you know like shuttle me around and he's like no you must come and run and I'm like, <laughs> just casually yeah I was like it was three 
four pro athletes you know or three pro two three pro athletes and you know like and then super committed mountain people and then me who sits behind a computer editing all day you know and i was like so the panic training really started and you know, I knew they they knew what they were signing up for. You know that they wouldn't complain if I was slow. I was like, I am I am what I am. But you know, I'll do my best to keep up. So yeah, it really was just meant to be. You know, like it, it just kind of worked itself into that space. Like how much do you know? Bought the tickets. How much do you need? Like try and do it on the cheap. Balanced it against the other film that we made with with Megan and did a quick little turnaround edit and you know made another nice little cool little film. You know, and so seemed to be settling into the space where you know where dean makes these headline world international um you know cinematic masterpieces like i'm quite happy in my little space of of what i call affordable cinematic shorts you know um it's not that that's all i want to do but it's it's nice to have these opportunities you know um you know and then already ryan's talking about the next one that's you know if he gets into um hard rock and you know we're trying to keep this theme of of running running home running happy and then he's like if we get into hard rock we'll call it running high and like start with him like smoking a big like (laughs) (laughs) spliff on the on the the cover photo and he's like oh that'll get us some views you know so there's some good banter about like how where this will go who knows but yeah it's a a cool part and for me even if it you know it's not not the big money spinner it, it it keeps me grounded in the space that makes me excited about making films again you know like even if it doesn't go to a billion views or um, is critically acclaimed, you know, it means I get to be on the mountain. I get to film. I get to hang out with the guys that like keep me keep me excited about telling good stories. You Still know? fulfill your passion, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. So that's running happy. You can just go YouTube that as well. Yeah, correct. I think that. Yeah. So a lot of them are, are pushed through Ryan's Facebook page, um, which you know comes with a large audience itself, which is really cool to have that as a starting point and. Salomon International now are pretty excited about um, these little shorts that we're making and they've carried, you know, a few that we've done for Salomon South Africa as well as for Ryan. So, yeah, I think it was, it should be on the Salomon Salomon TV YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Okay, so just go search that. That was, uh, that was quite a cool one. You yeah, guys slept in the goat like shed. Fun. Yeah, yeah and who, oh, we had no idea what it was going to be when we set out and I guess that's, that's the fun part of these the stories is like you embed yourself and you hold the camera and when things happen then you just start filming and you like kind of direct on the way like figuring out how how are you going to actually add this into the story and i was you know quite terrified on the first night it was you know meant to be this fun happy joyous time and first night we couldn't couldn't get a um a place to to sleep in a refuge they were all full and we didn't think we had to book ahead so we landed up in this goat shed and i was like oh this is going to be a grind you know it's like okay. how do we put show people like the grovel and it actually worked out perfectly because everyone was despite that we still had fun you know and i think that was the point is that you know it doesn't have to be all manicured and curated adventure like even the unexpected things like especially the unexpected things are the are the cool things and if you have the right crew who wakes up the next morning abuses each other laughs and carries on then that's perfect if you have you know the um the what would you call it the the soft crew with you who then complain that they didn't get in a hotel and are grumpy then you know those are probably not the guys you should be hanging out with on the mountain this is the buzzkill yeah no one likes a buzzkill no (laughs) okay awesome i think let's uh let's get into some questions we've actually answered most of them um but 
Simon Pocock, he asked, and I think we kind of answered this, have you always just been doing film? You haven't, you don't do a lot of stills or? Yeah, I, I mean, it's the ongoing journey of my life and I still have no idea where and how and what it is. And I guess we just take it I mean, part of the journey. There was definitely a time between making a lot of super sports shows that I ran myself into the ground and, you know, it was total burnout and, um, I guess I pushed that that path maybe a year or two longer than I should have. I should have like made the change and just wasn't inspired by what I was doing and, and then definitely took a step back. And for me, stills was the easy answer. Like I had the gear, it was simple, it was instantly gratifying. You take a photo, show it to someone, they would go like, oh, that's awesome. You'd hand it over and you'd be done with it. Whereas film is so much more, you know, you invest so much more of yourself. You know, how do you tell the story? There's a bigger group of people, you know, be totally committed to the process. And so stills still has that space in my life where it gives me that opportunity to tell stories, but it's less of an investment, I guess, um, it's, you know, and... Um, so there, there is occasionally the, you know, the photographic excitement and you know, one or two cool ones coming up, which I'm very fortunate about and I, I take them with open arms, but I've, um, and the, the difficulty is in the old days we used to film with, we used to film with DSLR cameras. So it was easy to just flip the switch and take a photo. Nowadays, if you're holding like a red cinema camera, you can't have a, you know, then you're holding the camera then you're there to film. And so you film and. You don't have that like that other camera just to grab quickly and take a photo. Um, and the more invested you get in filmmaking, the more invested you are in like, you know, making sure you get the best shots. And if you have an, an amazing scene, you want to get a video of it. Video of it. Yeah. You know, and, and often in sports, you only have one chance. You have to choose like stills or video. And you know, I've chosen film, I guess. But uh, yeah, occasionally we we take stills. But I've become very protective of my time. On the mountain, we did a little lap up and down Indian Fenster in the rain last night, and we're at the top. It was a beautiful view. Like I didn't take my camera out. I was like, I no longer want to take social photos. You know, like I, uh, you know, because I spend so much time holding a camera that I, I don't just like take road trip snaps anymore. Like then I'm invested in the road trip. And we did a race this weekend. Like I didn't wasn't interested in taking a photo and showing people. Like I wanted. You know, I enjoyed the race. Like I wanted to to be present, and not but if worry we, about your camera, or, yeah, yeah. But if it's experience a, it for yourself and not experiencing it for, for other sure. people, for sure. I mean, I don't know if that's right or wrong, or maybe I'll get back into it. But right now, like you know, that's my space. But when we when it is a photographic excitement, then I'm super excited about taking photos still for sure. Okay, but mostly film, Simon. Definitely. Okay, um, we've answered some gear questions and the GI one, and then Ma Michelle Glover asked a good one. What is your your dream project, your dream goal, is the one you've always been thinking of that's been bubbling in your mind and... Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I have a, a very clear idea of where I'd love to be and what type of stories for what type of clients, for what type of audiences. And the goal is just to do more work that gives me the opportunity to move in that direction. Um, so, I guess in the last few years, it's it's become easier to define whether I'll ever get there or not is something I, I'm very cautious not to put too much pressure on because if you don't, you don't want to have lived a life where you haven't achieved, but you know you must respect the things that you do along the way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to continue on my ultimate goal, cinematic shorts, 
that are meaningful stories to an international audience and uh if that's outside of sports and trail running for sure but it's always about showing people the world out there and and giving the voice to uh people have who have important things to say in the world i guess and uh making it short beautiful and relevant so real proper stories basically yeah she also asked who was your who was your inspiration when you when you started and did you have one even was there one person that you looked up to and always kept an eye on and yeah. asked for advice well when we started i mean it was you know we lived in this tiny little bubble of you know we thought we were the cool kids making super sports shows you know and then when you step back you're like you know, we're just filming mountain bike races you know in south africa there tip of africa i guess your your view expands you know and i spent a lot of time at events with kelvin troutman um who he was taking photos i was filming we spent a lot of time on mountains and then he definitely years ahead of me connected to an international level where he was like okay i've learned how to take photos week in and week out at sports events i want to go and do bigger and better things and i was had a company and we were doing a lot of stuff and i was like well I just carried on, you know, and maybe two years later, I was like, that's that's the next step. It's upwards and onwards. And so uh, seeing the path that Kelvin did was certainly like an inspiration to go, you know, as a South African, you actually can be on a global level. Like, yeah. you know, you, it's not something we never considered. And then you see, watch the African attachments progression from making, you know, a little profile film on Ryan Sands, his life, and then, being in a position and given the opportunity to make Salomon running international uh, films, you know, that was an inspiration of going like, well, you can be this international person. Um, so, and then obviously everyone in our community has those guys that they look up to, you know, mostly Americans, you know, who are weekly involved in really cool projects, telling really cool stories. And, you know, I guess the guy, Renan Osterk is the, the number one for me, you know, just the language he uses, the, the character he is, the stories he tells, the way he does things, you know, I was like, if I could yeah, be in wow. that guy's position, that's, you know, the, the more, the closer I can get to where he's at, that's my ultimate goal, I guess. Renan's history is kind of similar though. He didn't, he didn't study filmmaking or anything. He just, he was a climber Yeah. and he was good at it, spent a lot of time outside yeah. climbing met real people then kind of picked up a camera and now he's yeah there was an awesome film that they did recently from the north face called life coach where oh. um alex honold and, and renan went climbing in alaska or somewhere and, and they talk about that where they started together as climbers and then renan found this other passion and picked up a camera and then put all his energy into that and alex continued to climb and then now they go climbing together alex is obviously way better than renan and but he's like i'm okay with that because i have this other thing i have another passion and i guess that was you know amazing amazing coincidental that you're sitting here i mean that's part of how i made the decision to to try back into adventure racing you know like i'd become very uh determined about the way forward about what i need to do to move forward that that it was more important to do that than to look after myself i guess and watching that film was a way of going you know i did start from an adventure sports background and that was the passion and now everything is involved in film like maybe me allowing myself more time 
for adventure like we'll help round everything out and that was kind of the the moment where i was like you know i used to go and do a lot of expeditions i used to ride you know i've done the freedom challenge three times and like i used to do all these idiotic things you know these like you know we portaged the doozy one year like we put our boats in the water once another year paddled the, every day the doozy twice i ran the comrades in jeans like we run the two oceans with the helmets on like we you know we rode like postman bikes and races and there was always something exciting Happened. going on you know and my life was like i was an excitable person but now i seem wholly committed to filming and i was like i may be missing something i need to come back to where i started and you know i think adventure racing could be a big part of that and still trying to figure that out and you know yeah keep that keep that life balance you know you're a bit older you've got different ambitions but so you know even watching a film that that the, that renan made is you know that's my ultimate ambition as someone to watch a film and go like geez i need to change my life and they literally did that with me you know and i hope other people will watch our films on whatever level and go like oh, i should consider that a bit more like maybe i should do this maybe i should you know look bigger have the same effect i guess yeah Definitely. And they made that whole film kind of a mistake because the film was supposed to be a proper climbing film and then they got snowed in for a week and they just ended up in the tent and it ended up this amazing. Yeah. They just formed each other, actually, and it Correct, ended up yeah. so cool. Yeah, go watch that if you're listening to this. Um, yeah, it was called the uh, Life Coach. Life, Life Coach, yeah. It's no a North, the North Face, face yeah. yeah, just go YouTube that. It is on YouTube, actually, and Vimeo, I think. Uh, yeah, Andrew, thanks so much. Do you have any more questions, Rory? No, where can people find you? on social media and see your work other than yeah well, the most important thing is where to get hold of your work you nowhere know? I've seemed to have gone underground in the last like <laughs> 12 months I've already <laughs> put like three photos on Instagram you know from being quite active and I don't understand what that is about like you know I guess you know I was trying to find what's my direction and what my voice and I've been very cautious in the last you know the last 12 years I, there's been many times I've been taken in a direction I didn't necessarily choose and I'm at the point now where I'm like, I want to choose my way. And so, I'm, you know, uh, and, you know, I often get calls from directors saying, hey, I've got this guy, this potential gig for you. I need to show them something. I'm like, I don't know what to show them. You know, like I don't have a showreel. I don't have a, a website. And I don't really have a personality that I would like to present as, you know, the international thing. But the hopefully, you know, you hear about some of the films and you see some of them along the way. Um, I guess Instagram is easily, you know, is the one where I'll end up being tagged in the most and see what's going on. But uh, maybe we'll get back into it, uh, start focusing more on the brand and getting myself out there. But uh, yeah, Andrew King photo is uh, is the Instagram. Okay. But yeah, cool. Cape Town. I'm around town on the mountains. Come and say how's it. It's the easiest way. Just or find the guy running around at the camera on the mountain. Speak to someone who's got my phone number and dial me up. Like that's how they used to do <laughs> in the, the old days. days. <laughs> you know? Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think if you're listening to this, um, we'll we'll put some links on the website on the podcast post. So just go to the mountainroom.co.za or tmr.media. Just head over to podcasts. Search for the one. Andrew and we'll we'll put your links and then the films we can find and everything we'll put it in there people can go and check it out yeah. thanks so much really for sharing yeah. thank oh, you looking magic, forward yeah. to seeing uh, the longest hall and the, the film festival
No, it's also been brilliant to watch your guys' journey of like figuring out your space in the media world. It's really cool. Because we are still figuring yeah, it out. <laughs> no, but everyone is, and it's been beautiful to watch that journey. And uh, you know, I've got no doubt you guys will keep keep uh, moving forward to some success. You know? Thank you so much. Thanks, we'll definitely be calling you for some advice <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much. Cool, guys.